God, we are excited to be in your house today. We're excited to worship you through song and through the word and through testimony. Um, Lord, we, we're, just, we're just glad to be here and thank you for being in our midst. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you would have your way uh, this morning in our hearts and in our lives. And Lord, that you would remind us of truths that we can celebrate and teach us new things as we continue in our journey of becoming like Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. Good morning. You know, uh, the message that we often hear, or maybe you heard something like this, maybe it's been years ago, but it's like this, you're a Christian, um, good. Now go be one, right? Um, and so if you need a Bible, by the way, we've got some ushers coming down the aisles with Bibles. If you want to borrow one this morning and use it, that'd be great. If you need to take it home, it's, it's yours. But it's this idea of great, now go, now just go do it, right? Just go be one. Uh, many of us have no doubt heard a similar message. Just go and be a Christian. Just go be a follower of Christ. Just go, just go be a, a disciple. And we're left with like, okay, what exactly does that look like? And what exactly does that mean? Maybe for you it sounded like this, do this, don't do that. And quickly Christian living became all about the do's and the don'ts, right? And all you had to do is, is really pay close attention to the list. For a young man, it sounded like this, don't smoke, don't drink, don't chew, or go with girls who do. I may have gotten that backwards, but I, that's what I remember when I was younger. Maybe some of you remember when the don'ts of the Christian living kind of became the benchmarks and that you kind of used that as a test of like, well, how good of a Christian am I? How many don'ts am I not doing or doing? Don't play cards, don't dance, don't buy lottery tickets, don't smoke, don't drink, don't read love novels, don't go to the movies. And whatever you do, don't watch Hill Street Blues. Remember that? Do you remember that? Shortly after Lori and I were married, I felt um, led to continue, I was a baseball player and I felt led to continue playing uh, baseball my second and, or my third and fourth, yeah, I blew that one, my third and fourth year in college. And uh, we'd finished in Kansas, it was a two year school and I was being led to come up here and, and play at a school um, in Minnesota. And so we packed up and we took all of our wedding money, $300, and. I've been thinking about this. I'm like, that even, that wasn't a lot of money back then either. Like, so I don't know why we only got $300. Like, I'm, I'm rethinking that. Um, and so, but anyway, 300 and she says maybe 500, but we packed up, we moved up to Minnesota and we got to this school and the baseball coach was there and met us. And he said, let me take you on a tour of the town. And he showed us all over the town. It was great, beautiful town in Minnesota. Um, and then he took us on campus and we're walking around campus. And as we're going around campus, um, everybody kept staring at us. I'm like, well, it's not a huge school, but like, this is really weird. And so then we walked into the cafeteria and I'm not kidding, it's like time just stopped. Like it, it froze, like people just, just stared at us. Well, oh, come to realize it was a don't that we were doing. Don't wear shorts. Why? Because Christians don't wear shorts. For that and other reasons, we decided to not enroll. Um, but what don'ts of Christian living still ring in your head? Maybe from a parent or a deacon at church or a Sunday school teacher or a coach, a youth leader, maybe even a preacher. Today, I want to talk about what the Bible says about Christian living. We're on article eight of 10, and this is what it says. We believe that God's justifying grace 
must not be separated from his sanctifying power and purpose. God's command commands us to love him supremely and others sacrificially and to live out our faith with care for one another, compassion towards the poor, justice for the oppressed. With God's word, the spirit's power and the fervent prayer in Christ's name, we are to combat the spiritual forces of evil. In obedience to Christ's commission, we are to make disciples among all people, always bearing witness to the gospel in word and in deed. That's Article 8 of the Evangelical Free Church Statement of Faith. You could say that living uh, as a Christian or Christian living could um, be summed up with one word, and the word might be real, all capitals, R-E-A-L. And the word real is more than just a word for me. Um, as many of you know, it's an acronym that I, that I developed, and, and it'll show up in my preaching. It shows up in leadership development stuff I do. It shows up all over the place. It's an acronym I developed um, during a season when God was doing an incredibly deep work in my life, and that's kind of where, where it came from. And, and since that, I, here's what I want my life to be remembered by what these four letters represent. They tell a story. And they paint a picture, and they take us on a journey, and they teach us what it means for Christian living. Some of you will remember a series I did not long after I got here in 2016. I did this series called Real, and I introduced it to you. And um, uh, you remember, maybe, maybe you were here, and you got a little magnet you put on your refrigerator. And we've got all kinds of magnets on our fridge and out in the garage and other places. Did anybody, does everybody still have a magnet that you have on your fridge? Yeah, some of you. Um, I was shocked first service too, and, and uh, that's really cool. And it's just a great reminder of what does it mean to walk with Christ? And this is just how I summed it up. The first one is, is reliant on God. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 in a second. But I want to start with a question to ask ourselves. Who is in control of my life? Is it God or is it me? And a follow-up question might be, who do I live like is in control of my life? Is it God or is it me? Christian living is all about living this, this God-dependent life. A God-dependent life is Christian living, and they go together. And it begins with trust. But the real rubber meets the road question is this. Can we trust God? Can we truly rely on God? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, submit to him and he'll make your path straight. We rely on God because he knows where he is going. I want you just to sit with that statement just for a second and just, just ponder that and reflect that. We rely on God because he knows where he is going. And that's, that's why we can trust him. Trust here in this passage, it means literally to put your full weight on with all of your heart. So it's, it's to lean, it's to be reliant on God in this way, meaning not to be partial or not to be divided or conflicted. So it begins by saying, put your full weight on God with this undivided heart. Where you put your weight, whether it's on self or whether it's on God, determines who gets glorified in your life. We can't place part of our weight on God and part of our weight on self and expect uh, to bring glory to God because it's partial glory. Has God ever given you a reason to not trust him? Um, some people answer that quickly and say, yeah, I actually has. Lori and I were just talking about this, um, I think it was yesterday. 
Because we hear all the time, or maybe you grow up and, and maybe in, in your study or discipleship, you, you've learned about God and he's this God who, who has this unconditional love for us and this compassion and this care and, 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 and he loves us. And, and we get that picture and this is all truth and we believe that, that this is all truth. And, and we're good until something happens in life. Maybe there's a, a trauma or a, a really difficult trial or something happens in our life. And then we try to reconcile the two ideas of we're supposed to believe this, but this is what's happening in life. And now all of a sudden, I don't know if I can trust God. And it becomes this filter in which we start to look at God through. And we determine who God is based on what's happening in us, around us. He has given me reason to not trust him because he didn't do what I wanted. Does that sound familiar? God not behaving in the way we want him to has no bearing on whether or not he can be trusted. We don't trust him for our own plan, we trust him because of his plan. And we trust him because unlike anything or anyone else in this life, he can be trusted. We trust him not because he's powerful, but because he's all powerful. We trust him not because he, he has knowledge, but because he's all knowing. And we trust him, great is thy faithfulness, the words we just sang. If you have your full trust in a person, and I would say there's different seasons of my life, this is true, and maybe you can relate to this. You put your full trust in a person, all the eggs in a basket, maybe it's a spouse or a friend, um, or family member. And all I would say uh, to that is just be really careful. Because people will always disappoint you. People will always let you down. And the only one who can truly be trusted is God. And then what happens is as we place our trust more and more in God and we begin to lean more and more on him, we start to trust people through that truth. But not ultimately. Ultimately, our trust can only be in God. We rely on God because he knows what we don't. And the instruction here is to rely not on what you think you know, but instead rely on what you don't know. That sounds really funny. I just finished telling you to put your full weight on God and he can be fully trusted. Now I'm telling you to rely on what you don't know. We can know the path maker when you think about your life, but we don't get to know all the details of the path. So to rely on what we think we know uh, if we say, well, I, I, I'm relying on myself because I think I know, um, simply says that I know a better way. A lack of knowledge about life places us at the feet of the author of life. Remember him in everything you do, verse six. In all your ways submit to him and he'll make your path straight. Who doesn't want that? Be ever mindful of God. It's to make God more of a forethought and less of an afterthought. In everything, we need to look for his guidance, whether it's going on vacation or it's our vocation, whether it's when we are praying or when we're playing. Acknowledge him. Always keep him in mind. Always be walking in the spirit. Always be leaning on him. And then there's a promise. Make your path straight. You want that, don't you? I do. Here's what it means. It means like cutting a highway or, or clearing a path. Essentially, he is saying, I'm not just going to lead you. I'm going to clear the way for you. 
that your path is the path God has laid before you. It's the path that was purposed for you. It's the path that God planned for you. It includes everything that is necessary for you to be changed into the likeness of his son, Jesus, because again, Christian living, that's what it is. It's this process of sanctification. It's this process of progressive sanctification, of becoming more and more like Jesus. Christian living is the revelation of the work of Christ in us. So you're either experiencing the life that God has for you or you're experiencing the life that you have for you. And and it's a beautiful thing when his path becomes your path, right? He doesn't just, of course we do. There's no greater peace in life than being able to say, I know I'm on the right path because I know I'm on God's path. So self-reliance forces us to look straight ahead and, and it says to us, don't deviate from your plan. Do what you want to do. Live like life the way that you want to live. Make your own decisions. That's what self-reliance says. I don't know about you, but that's gotten me in trouble a number of times. Self-reliance says put your full weight on self. Trust only self. Depend only on self. Because everything around us is screaming. Our culture is screaming. Everything around us is screaming, be self-reliant. And it makes total sense when everything about us wants to play God. We have been taught and we encouraged to only rely on ourselves, right? No one can be trusted or dependent on except me, myself, and I. That's not Christian living, that's Andy living. That's me believing in me. That's me thinking I, I can be my own savior and don't need anyone. I don't need, I don't need anyone. I don't even need God. That's me thinking I know the way and I know all the answers to the questions of this life. But here's the deal, uncertainty in this life, you have uncertainty, or fear in this life, it constantly is inviting us back to that self-reliant living. Self-reliance is just our attempt to play God. When we're afraid, we play God. When we feel like things are out of control, we play God. So first, Christian living points us to a a reliant life, relying on God. Secondly, it points us to being emptied of self. In Matthew 10, 38, and 39, it says, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, this is Jesus speaking, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it, but if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Pretty powerful words. Our, our culture is completely the opposite. Our culture says to get ahead, you, you have to have all the right stuff, right? You have to have the right job, the right degree, the right house, the right car, the right clothes, the right friends. And from all appearances, in, in this Matthew passage, in, in, in chapter 10, verse 38 and 39, is telling us that we need to die to self. What you're hearing me say is completely different than what you hear when you, when you walk out of these walls. It's a different way. One prayer for Christian living sounds like this. Dear Jesus, short prayer, get the me out of me. In this process of of working this R-E-A-L, that was a prayer that the Lord just resonated with me and I pray that so often 
It's the last thing I pray before I come up on stage. Dear Jesus, get the me out of me. Let me be completely self, not self-reliant, but God-reliant. Get rid of the self completely. Because as long as there is any me in me, then life is always about me. If you were to ask my wife, she would say, um, Andy often leaves a little bit of milk in the carton, just a little bit, not enough to, for anybody else to drink, or a little bit of cereal in the cereal box, or a little bit of pop in the bottle of the, you know, the bottom of the bottle. Um, anybody else do that? Ladies, if you're married, does your husband do that? I mean, you're scared? I mean, first service we had a few, like, like yeah, he does that too. I don't, I don't know why. I would like to say it's laziness, but th- that can't be it. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, this is what it means, to be less of us, right? Remember I was talking about that? The Holy Spirit's taking over more territory of our life. To be emptied of self means to have less of us. It's all about less of us. Something isn't empty until it's empty. And God invites us to be completely empty. And man, does it get messy in our life when, when we start talking about being emptied of self. Because when the glory of heaven collides with mankind on earth, it gets really, really messy. When the divine meets the depraved, or the savior meets the sinner, or the majestic meets the man, it's about to get messy. Because becoming like Christ is messy. Christian living is messy. I want to apologize on behalf of all the people maybe that you've encountered, whether in this church or in your life, that think they have it all together as a Christian. Like everything in their life is great. Everything in their life is right. They always know the right answer. They always know the right decision. They always know the way to go. It's a cover-up. Because it brings me to focus on verse 39. If you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find it. Which reminds me of one of my favorite verses, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Maybe we need to have a funeral for self. If you had to be honest, thinking back a couple weeks ago when we talked about the Holy Spirit, how much territory of your life are you still occupying? How how much territory in your life, um, real estate, do you still need to give up for the Holy Spirit to to fill you more? What do you still have to surrender? A big part of the E in real is brokenness. And here's here's my definition of brokenness, because I I don't know, maybe you've been in a conversation and somebody's even asked you, have you ever been broken? I've asked people that question. That's a strange question. The definition I use is brokenness is not the shattering of life. It's the revealing of Christ. Brokenness cannot be about other people. I don't know if you've ever encountered a conversation or maybe you've heard about a, a situation where, where someone um, talks a lot about what's happened to them, maybe traumatic events or trials or, or this person did this or this person did that, and they would say, I am so broken. But not one time did they ever mention themselves. And they say, but all of this stuff happened to me. It's caused me to be broken. 
It's impossible. Because brokenness isn't about other people, it's about you. It's not about what's been done to you. It's about what God's doing in your heart. The Christian life points to a life that is emptied of self, and then it points us to authentic relationship. 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. I went to this conference once, and a bunch of pastors and a speaker was speaking, and then all of a sudden he just kind of stopped, and he said, okay, I want, I want everybody to take out, their, if you don't have a piece of paper out, take out paper and pen, and I want you to jot down the names of three people, and I don't, I'm not talking about an emergency situation, just if you needed to talk to somebody, three people at three o'clock in the morning, who, who jot their names down. Who, who could you call? And I, and I just sat there and I looked down the aisle and nobody's writing. Most people live with this paradox. We, we sincerely want to have people who are close to us. We're created for relationship. We're created for connection. But we absolutely are terrified of the transparency that it's gonna require. So, so until you know yourself and you know your own mess, authentic relationships really can't happen. But I, I will also say authentic relationships are, are, are a significant part of Christian living. Because discipleship happens in community and, and life on life happens in community. Are you doing life with other believers? Do you have people in your life? I don't know about you, but there have been seasons when I've been really good at showing a, a part of me, and, and I'm really good at hiding the rest of me that I don't want people to see. Hiding's an interesting thing, right? Because it started with Adam and Eve after the sin, after the fall, and it was easy to hide. The evil one wants nothing more. Listen, I'm saying this partly because I know statistically that the idea of isolating and aloneness is skyrocketing since the pandemic. There is nothing that the evil one wants more than for you to be out of community and to isolate and to be alone. Characteristics of authentic relationships, vulnerability. You know what vulnerability is? It'd be like if there was a curtain here and and all you see is me and I'm just, you get to know me this way and, and then all of a sudden I was able to go to the curtain and I was able to pull the curtain back just a little bit and I'd say, look, look at some of the rest of my life behind the curtain that you never get to see. That's vulnerability. And what does it do? It breeds vulnerability. It requires trust, grace. It's this ability and authentic relationship to give people room to not be perfect. It requires commitment. And then the biggie, it requires love. First Corinthians tells us that we can do all of the wonderful religious things, but if we don't have love, it's like this annoying clanging symbol. The fruit of love is, is it's way more than this fuzzy feeling that we feel sometimes. It goes so much deeper. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in us. In 1 John, we're warned that a person 
who does not love others cannot say that they love God. How would it be possible for a person to say, I love God, and out of the same mouth, hate their brother or sister? It's impossible. John says it's a ridiculous statement to say we, we do not love another person whom we can see who's right here and we say, I don't love this person. But then we can say, I love God, but you've never seen him. That's what he's saying. You, you, how do you do that? To serve others authentically and genuinely and not out of duty, we have to settle the, the issue of love first. If I have not resolved God's unconditional love for me, then my love for others will always be fake. It'll be shallow. It's going to be, it'll be empty. It'll be Amazon Prime relationships, right? What you want, when you want it, when you want it. Authentic relationships. Last one's light of the world. This one's really short. I just want to really share scripture. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters, right? Living as light means laying down our lives. And so what did Jesus say? Jesus essentially said, watch me. I want to show you what love is. And he willingly and sacrificially laid down his life, not for no reason, but for a good reason, the reason of love, his love for us. It is in our pursuit of God where we learn what true Christian living is. Here's the one thing. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Jeremiah 29, 13. So Christian living isn't really anything about do's and don'ts of the religion. It's this idea of seeking after God. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Father, thank you for um, your scripture and the word, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you would continue to refine us. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to lead us into a deeper walk through the Holy Spirit, a deeper walk in our relationship with you. I pray that every person in this room has a desire um, to be real, R-E-A-L, reliant on God, emptied of self, authentic in relationship, and to live as light as the world. It kind of sums up what this idea is of what it means to walk with you. Thank you for your grace toward us. Draw us closer, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.